Are you excited that I got you a Chex Mix and Sour Patch Kids parfait for your first appearance on this podcast? I couldn't be more excited. <laughs> it's August, and I feel like it's January, and I'm in the press box, and I'm watching the Sabres slouch through a game. <laughs> uh, are, are you able to push away the Chex Mix and Sour Patch Kids during the season? Or do you switch it up and go to just straight gummy bears? No, I I I, uh, I go for peanuts. The, oh, the good, yeah, high yeah. protein. I I try to avoid the Chex Mix and the uh, the Sour Patch Kids. I will confess to using the little scoop to pick through the Chex Mix for the Rye Crisps. <laughs> that's that's kind of my indulgence during the season. But no, I love that they have it. I've always liked going places that had stuff, snack food in the press boxes because we're up there a lot. Uh, but I do try to avoid it some with with some success, and then not always with some success. You've traveled on the road with the Hurricanes plenty. I really haven't. It, the last time I was on a road trip was the Stanley Cup Finals in Edmonton. And what struck me the most about going to Boston was, holy cow, that's a spread. Just the dessert spread. Do you remember the donut board? Yeah, teams do amp things up. Like downstairs in the meal room, teams do amp things up in the playoffs. And Boston, you know, absolutely did. They had an ice ice sculpture in the conference finals. And then, you know, the Hurricanes did too. Um, you know, like Atlanta, the Thrashers used to have soft pretzels in the press box. Um, Boston's like always, yeah, Boston's always had like the little dessert tray of Petty Fours and stuff upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of a trend in the NHL. Not, obviously, I don't travel the way I did when I was covering the team and that was 10 years ago, and a lot's changed everywhere since then. Um, but there weren't many teams back then that had anything more than water and coffee upstairs. Uh-huh. Pop, popcorn. Everyone had popcorn. But, you know, so the ones that did, Chicago had hot dogs. Right. Um, and Montreal, their their meal room is up on the press box level, up with the, the press gondola, the, the, you know, in Montreal, to ring around, yeah. suspended above the ice. And then there's the Salon Jacques Beauchamp, which is where the meal room is. <laughs> And they have a, like a bar in there, and they have the the greatest hot dogs in hockey. And they also have Montreal? like a full meal. Montre- Montreal press room hot dogs. I was it. sick when I went to Montreal it's, in uh, 2002. The Montreal press room is an experience because, in a lot of ways, it's like a, a Hall of Fame reception in there. Right. And I remember going there and being so imit- intimidated by you know Red <laughs> Fisher and Michael Farber and um, you know uh, some of the the French language guys, um, Marc Dufois, Francois. Um, Man, I'm forgetting Frankie's name, but but all those guys, like they were, they were, you know, sort of these legends. And you'd go in there and you'd have a hot dog, and eventually, you know, after years, the day would come where you'd get the nod and be able to come over and sit at the table. And those those were big moments for me as a as a young writer. All right, now people are excited because we've talked about press uh, press room snacks. Are you ready to the begin? Important stuff. <laughs> are you ready? Yeah, to let's begin? get on to less important. Things. All right. This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. Luke DeCock from the News and Observer. Uh, welcome. First time. First time, long time? I don't know. I, I don't know. First I've time, worked. yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I've actually been in this building to do like satellite TV hits, but right. I've never been over here on, on your side. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, Feel like Nixon going to China here. I'm just gonna say it's about time. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. And it has that was not directed at you. I understand. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm ha- let me. I'll just say I'm very happy to be here. Um, you and I have a uh, a unique place in covering this team. You more than I, because I'm much more much newer to it 
than you are in that there aren't that many independent voices uh, who cover the team who have no connection to the team. So, um, and I respect a lot of what our friends do who do Kane's Country and Brian LeBlanc uh, and what uh, Corey Lavalette does at uh, North State Journal. Uh, but, you know, nowadays, for some reason, there are more, uh, whether it's fan sites or team sites that cover hockey sure. than there are independent media. So uh, I think people, uh, people look to you. People look to us uh, and don't, maybe don't like the truth because they're not getting it sugar-coated. So uh, you ready to have at it? Yeah, and I, I do think that's a, a you know just sort of the a, a state of the changing media world where you know this the function of sort of in, in political media of people wanting to subscribe to only the viewpoints that they believe in. We've seen that happen in sports twenty years ago. You know the the mm-hmm. team specific recruiting sites, all that stuff. Sure. You know if you want to be told what you want to hear, there's a lot of people out there who will do that. They're happy to do that. They're happy to take your money and tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> and I think you know you and I and and you and Joe and and those of us, you know, who are kind of uh, more independent, um, you know, are going to tell you things you might not want to hear. But, you know, the, I, I'll tell, say now the same thing I tell people who complain or sometimes, I, you know, I can't promise you're going to like what I write. I promise I'll be honest. Right. You know, I'll promise I'll tell you what I think. I'm not going to BS you. Um, and, and I promise I'll do my homework and I'm going to know what I'm talking about. So, you know, I don't if, promise that. If that's. <laughs> I never promise that. Well, I didn't that. say we. I said I. <laughs> For sure. That's where we're different. I For don't sure. promise that. No, I, I, you know, the right. generally speaking, you know, I think educated consumers want what you and I provide, which is going to be a, a measured, leveled, critical, not in the sense of being negative necessarily, but critical in the sense of looking critically at the situation. Um, that's what I've always wanted as a consumer, and that's what I try to deliver, and I know you do too. All right, let's get to the number one issue. I didn't want to wait to bury it in the middle or at the end. Um, Justin Williams, we're two weeks out from training camp. We still haven't gotten word. I have long held the belief that Justin wants to play, that a lot of this is simply waiting for the right deal. I'm starting to hear things about maybe he doesn't want to play or he's not 100% sure. I don't, I am not going to change my initial thought uh, until the season starts and he's not there. Um, But, we're two weeks away from training camp, and we don't have a Justin Williams contract yet. What are your thoughts on this? It's August 27th. Do you know where your captain is? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, you and I, I you're reporting and my reporting. I'm not questioning your reporting in any way. You and I kind of differ on what we've been hearing. You know, I've been told that money is, is zero part of the equation here. Mm-hmm. It's all him trying to make this decision. I'm not saying that that's right. Um, that's just what I can determine. You know, the people I talk to, that's what they say. The people you talk to, they said different things. They may be right. Um, you know, I, I, this is one of those situations where things are hazy and a lot of things could be true. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I don't want to say disinformation, but stuff gets maybe blown out of proportion this time of year, like the Brian Boyle thing that came up out of nowhere right. and then got shot down out of equally out of nowhere. Like, things, so stuff like that happens. I do think Justin, as you know, as I think people who have met him know, is, is just kind of a different breed of cat. Right. He's going to do things his own way. Um, he's always been that way. Um, it works for him. Uh, but I do think this has gone on to the point. This is what I wrote last week. That it's gone on to the point where the team is kind of like, we've given you a whole lot of leash here. We've given you a length of rope and you mm-hmm. run a marathon with it. We, we, need, 
we need an answer. And they've they've planned, if you look at the way the roster is built, they've planned on the ice as if he's not coming back. Right. I don't think they've planned in the dressing room as if he's mm. not coming back. You know what you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, like I think the the contingency plan for Justin Williams deciding to retire on the ice is fine. The contingency plan for Justin Williams in the dressing room deciding to retire is not fine. Uh, because there isn't really, and we can talk about this in more detail if you want, there isn't really an obvious person to step into that void. True. I think if he comes back, he can still be as effective as a leader. I think his role on the ice will be reduced. I think it should be. That's fine. I think you could see in the playoffs that at a really elite level, he's not quite mm-hmm. what he was. But, he, I, you know, there's no reason he can't give you 15 to 20 goals, maybe help out in the power play, right. and and be a leader. So, I, you know, I think it would benefit the hurricane certainly if he comes back and the cap issues can be worked out. But the thing that I keep coming back to when it's something like this, and I remember you may have, have heard this too. I remember Ron Francis saying something to the equivalent of not exactly this every year when he got on the stationary bike for the first time, he knew then whether he was going to play again the next year or not. Like when he got on the bike and started working out for the next season, he could tell then if he wanted to do it, go through that summer of training and whatever and do it or not. If you don't know by now, right. isn't the answer no? I mean, isn't that where you and I are kind of coming around to that, somewhat unexpectedly maybe? That's why I'm wavering. Now, I realize that money was never going to be a factor, right? And I keep hearing about what does he need? He doesn't need anything. But what is he worth? Yeah, and right? anyone wants to be treated the way treated in a way that respects what they're worth. I, I get personally that. don't believe that the Hurricanes have cap room for what Justin Williams is worth. Yeah, maybe. Right? Two and a half million in cap space, that's all they have left. I don't believe he's I think he's worth more than that. Well sure, but you you know, you give him easily achievable bonuses. Mm-hmm. It's an over thirty five contract, so he's got a little money up front. You can stack it with whatever bonuses you like. You know, it, And you the could, bonuses are tacked on next year. So they go on to next year's cap. And the Marlowe money's off then. Right. So what you really have is $6 million to play with. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you can fit the base numbers in that $2.5 million, which you can't. I still think whether he comes back or not, shouldn't say still think, it would not surprise me whether he comes back or not if they didn't trade one or two players before opening night. Um, I think they could cut down a little bit at forward. I think they could maybe trade a defenseman. Um, obviously, the the Forsberg Arbitration Award opens the trade of a, <laughs> of a goalie. Right. Uh, one one of those guys. So, you know, whether Williams comes back or not, I think that cap number may change. But, you know, the question would be, is he willing to play for an over-35 contract? Easily achievable bonuses, you still have to achieve them. Right. You get hurt in training camp, and you don't get any of them. Mm-hmm. So I understand that from his perspective, you know, like like if that's an issue. But what I've been told is, and, and again, this may or may not be true, is if Justin Williams wants to play, they will use the flexibility of putting some of it on next year's cap to make sure they can get him under contract and on the roster. Now, does that become a negotiation? Sure, everything's a right. negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my understanding is, and again, could be wrong, the, the money is not the issue. The issue is, does Justin Williams want to continue to play in the NHL? All right, let's let's deal with um, the void because there are two voids. Uh, there's a production void, and then there is a leadership void, a presence void. Uh, let's deal with the presence void first because that mu- I don't think it's any necessarily 
uh, any more or less important, but I think it's equally important, the leadership. There's no obvious captain for that team if it's not Justin Williams. Um, to me, Jordan Stahl operates better in a, in a support role. 100%. I think Justin Falk, if there wasn't going to be the constant conversation about a trade of Falk, I think it would make a lot more sense to have even Falk be the captain, although I'm not sure he's suited for that. But there really isn't any other obvious choice other than Ajo. Or Martinuk. Yeah, but Martinuk could be a healthy scratch. No, I know. that. Look, look ju- I'm with you. I'm, my point is, when you're going down the list of candidates, it gets pretty thin pretty soon. And I think Falk is the kind of guy who, over the course of his career, different than Stahl, but same kind of situation, the, the change in his attitude and demeanor when he was relieved of that mm-hmm. responsibility, like, I don't think that's a guy you want to make sole captain. I think you can give him a leadership role. Right. Right. So, so you know, I'm not sure he's the answer either. I think Jordan, I agree with you 100%. Jordan seemed much more relaxed and yeah. at home not mm-hmm. being captain. So what you and, and Aho, I think maybe could be a captain someday, but is nowhere near ready right. for that yet. I mean, his English alone needs to get better. Mm-hmm. And that's not his English is fine, but it's different from being here and being a captain. There's nothing wrong with having a foreign, you know, a European captain. But the European captain can you have a captain who wanted to be a Montreal Canadian? Well, all right. So and then there's <laughs> that too. Kidding. No, We're no, get to that later. <laughs> but that no, but that's a fair point though. <laughs> That's a fair. Do you want to commit to a guy now who's only under contract for five years as your captain? Right. It's a moot point. Aho's <laughs> not going to be the captain of this team. Uh, and then Martinuk, you know, another guy. Can you make a guy in that role a captain? I'm not sure you can. Not today. And I would also argue the Hurricanes are better off with Martinuk being one of those Ray Whitney types who doesn't necessarily wear a letter but keeps the room loose as a leader. Let those guys function behind the scenes. And and anyway, so back Slater? to your question. I, too quiet, I, I think. Yeah, so here's my, my, my take on the too quiet argument. I, I agree. But there are some guys who have really strong personalities, and Rob Brindamore was one of these guys, who really flourish when they're told, run with it. Right. You know, I, I, I've written this a million times, and you and I have probably talked about it. I had real concerns when they promoted Rod Brindamore to replace Ron Francis because I said – you know, Roddy is one of these guys. He's quiet. He's strong. He may be a better sort of lead by example mm-hmm. lieutenant than, you know, the major leading the charge. And, I, and obviously I was dead wrong about that. The force <laughs> of Roddy's personality was so strong. And his his understanding of the concepts of leadership meant that he deferred to Ronnie even when he disagreed with him. So you never saw the true rubber. Same thing as when he was assistant coach. You never saw Rod, the head coach, because he deferred to Bill Peters. Right. Probably unwisely so. <laughs> but, Probably, but, yeah. but that was this was the argument I made with people. Who were like, how can you promote a guy who's been part of this terrible staff? And the answer is, is Rod Brindamore understands leadership so well, he would never undermine the person above mm-hmm. him, and yet the force of his personality is so strong. Okay, so is there anyone in the room like that? Maybe Slavin. I, I, you know, that, that's the one because he is – such a thoughtful, strong-willed, um, depth-of-character type person. But I've never heard him express an interest in that. And he may be another one of those guys who's more comfortable a little out of the spotlight. I, I think one of the things that you have to do as a captain is you have to be able to call out what you see as not good enough. Sure. I have never heard that 
from Slavin in any way, shape, or form. I'm not knocking Slavin. Slavin, even after losses when we've talked to him, has always been, yeah, we need, you know, it, it, it didn't it's go our way. Point. And I think you have to demonstrate some level of that's unacceptable. And we haven't seen that from Jacob. Maybe that would come out if he was named the captain. There's no debating whether or not he's one of the two best players. On the, He might be the best player on the team, to be perfectly honest. We always assume, well, Ajo is because he scores all the goals. But I don't know. Maybe Slavin is the is, best player on the team. Is one of them top 10 in his position in the NHL? Uh, top 20 in his position in the NHL? I think. Uh, I, think I would Ajo's, say Slavin is. I, w- I would say Ajo is a top 20 center in the NHL. I think he's a top 34. I, I, my, I, I still have issues with Ajo at center. I think if he was playing on the left wing, I would think he's a top 20 left winger. Uh, but that's my opinion. I, I think Slavin is a top 10 to 15 defenseman in the yeah. NHL. So by that metric, he's a you know he's better. Yeah, I, I, but, I think that you make a good point. But I mean, you brought up Martinuk, and I just again he could be a healthy scratch. The, the way if if William well if Williams plays, they have serious roster <laughs> issues. Um, but look, they have they have some some issues to deal with in terms of who's going to be on the ice and. I mean, if Svechnikov, we're going to get to the roster makeup in a minute, but um, if Svechnikov, if he stays on the left side or if he moves to the right yeah. side, if Williams doesn't play, what do you do? Uh, but the other part of the Williams void, I think, is a production void. I think the roster right now, I think it still needs Justin Williams. Otherwise, there is so much pressure on Martin Natchez to produce. He's going to make the roster. That's to me. That's why he's not playing in the prospect tournament. He's going to be on the team. Um, we, we can debate whether or not that's good or not. That he's essentially been given a spot uh, on the team because it does appear that way to me. But if there's no Williams, Natchez has to produce. Sure. Otherwise, they're missing. I mean, at 53 points, that ain't easy to to replace. Maybe you get it from Howla Dzingle combined. Um, and the 53 points, they should both be, uh, you know, at least at that. But uh, the truth is that that's a lot to replace from Williams, aside from the leadership, and that there's production. Half of his goals came in the third period. I mean, it's to me, there's a lot that, in just in terms of raw data, that they have to replace if it if there's no Williams. I yes, I'm less concerned though about the on ice stuff than the off, off the ice stuff, and. And you, you you mentioned a couple of the reasons why. I mean, I think you can you can ex- you never want to expect people to do anything different than what they've done before. But I think you can expect a leap forward from Svechnikov. Oh yeah. You know, I think Furland, despite what his numbers were last year, obviously by the end of the year he was contributing nothing. So to yeah. me, the team that was in the playoffs doesn't miss my like. There's no subtraction there. You know, the team that was in the playoffs is not a a team that considered Furland an, an asset at that point. No. Um, you know, I think. You know, Zingle will add a lot on the wing. I think that's a big upgrade there. Um, Halla gives them that third body down the middle that Victor Rask wasn't, um, <laughs> that Natchez wasn't last year when he was essentially right. given a spot and then lasted two weeks or whatever it was. So, you know, their biggest needs, I feel like, have been addressed. Now, the question is, if Williams doesn't come back, does the combined improvement of Svechnikov, does Warren Fogel pick up where he left off or go back to being sort of a you know, fourth-line guy. I mean, he showed some flashes in the well, playoffs. Yeah. I don't think you can expect that of him, but there's there's some there there. And then you've got the Brock McGinn situation where he's now being paid like a top-nine forward right. but has yet to show over the course of his career he's consistently a top-nine forward. 
maybe maybe he's one of those guys who plays better with the big paycheck. Uh, certainly, you know, you you could find out. So I'm a little less concerned about Williams not being there on the ice if that's the case because of particularly Zingle and Halla. They desperately needed one forward who could convert scoring chances. Mm-hmm. Zingle can do that. There's a lot yeah. of things he can't do. Like He is a imperfect, flawed player. But in certain areas, he is really good. And they happen to be areas the Hurricanes were not very good at. And Halla, because he can play in the middle – and because he's got a, a little bit of a two-way game, even if he's not 100% coming off the injury, he has scored in this league. So yeah. there's another guy who can finish. Now, you bring Williams back, I think you're a better team at forward. But if he doesn't come back, I think that does open the door. I look at it differently. I think it opens the door for Natchez to play a bigger role. This is a kid with a lot of talent, mm-hmm. ton of talent. His adjustment last year to the North American ice could not have gone any more poorly. Like, right. like at the NHL level. Yeah. I, was, I mean, it was a disaster. He was thinking too much. He just you could never internalize the way they wanted him to play or the, the space or any Rod of that. Rod couldn't put him on the ice. No, it, it got it to the point where— Tampa. I talked yeah. to him after the Tampa game. I couldn't put him out there because he was playing center at that point. He played a lot a lot more successfully on the wing. Right, and that's where NHL. he'll play. Yeah. yeah, and that's where he'll play this year. And, and, and so now maybe he can have a more normal, paced transition to the NHL game, less responsibility. But— that was to me. That's a big change in the state of the roster from last year to this year. Where last year they had to have Martin Natchez be their third line center because mm-hmm. they were just built that way. And this year, if Martin Natchez isn't ready, there's like two or three other guys you can slot in there. Like I think Saku Manalainen has third line potential. They have who's that? They don't have him on the roster yet. Well, he'll be there. He'll be there. I well, think they're waiting for finalization from Williams before they. But I'm a, I'm, I'm a Saku guy. I mean, I think he gives them a lot of what they need. I think Size, he'll be there. Size, a little bit of skill, right? Size, a little bit of skill. I mean, he I call could, him Finnish Vogel. He could be <laughs> he could be the guy you end up using in front of the net on the power play because he's a big body. Mm-hmm. He's got decent. I mean, he's, you, you wouldn't want him necessarily on the half wall, but you know. So <laughs> so like I'm less concerned about the non-Williams state of the forward roster than I would have been if they hadn't addressed those two big weaknesses. Are they better with him? Absolutely. This is not a case where you're clearing space for some right. old guy. Like, I agree with you completely. He brings things they need, but I think they're in much better shape in terms of putting the lineup together than they are in terms of figuring out what do we do leading this team, especially because Williams and Brindamore, you know, because they share a brain, mm-hmm. there was that <laughs> right. seamless transition yeah. from coaching coach's office to dressing room. I think that played a big role in how quickly the the, the – character and attitude and mentality of this team changed. Yeah, and and how they were able to kind of put behind them a very difficult 2018 part of the schedule and turn the calendar to 2019 and the whole thing went uh kind of crazy. Um how did the how did the organization handle the two major off-season issues? Sebastian Ajo as a restricted free agent, Don Waddell <laughs> dangling in the wind. Offer you, sheets for both of them. You, you, you're, basically, yes. Your opinion, how they, how did they handle these two situations? Two separate answers. I don't have a problem with the way they dealt with Ajo. Restricted free agent without arb rights is one of the very, 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 very few points in a player's career where the organization has the leverage. Right. So, you know, when you look at what happened with Nylander last year, what's happening with Marner this year and some of those other guys out Gosh. there. Rantanen, Rantanen, McAvoy, yeah. Point. I mean, you, there's so many good uh, RFAs. Right. So other teams have taken this approach too. 
So the idea that the Hurricanes, we can talk. I, we probably should at some point talk about the Dundon is cheap. Oh, I don't think he's cheap. Argument. Well, good. All right. So we'll get there. Yeah. So the the idea that the Hurricanes were somehow cheap with Aho is implying that Toronto and Tampa and Colorado and all these other teams uh, are doing the wrong thing too. Now, the way a player can flip the leverage is by getting an offer sheet. I don't think there's a disloyalty in Aho getting an offer sheet, which is sort of what people have claimed. He wants to leave. He signed with the Canadians. He wants to leave. Even if he wanted to stay here, that was the quickest way to getting what he wanted. It just so happens that his agent is basically an assistant general manager for the Canadians and represents like <laughs> nine of their players. So he could do a sweetheart deal with Mark Bergevin, who I am still haven't figured out what he got out of this other than being made to look like a fool. You know, they talked themselves into this idea that, you know, if we put all the money up front, Dundon, he's so cheap, we'll never match it. Like, yeah. the guy just spent $70 million on a football league. He's going to pay Sebastian Ajo the money right. he had to pay him anyway. It mm-hmm. wasn't like it was extra money. It was just whatever. Now, the length of the contract is an issue because yeah. they would have liked to have him, obviously, for, for the full eight. But to me, that was just the way the CBA is supposed to work. Team has leverage. Player gets leverage. Deal gets done. The number is fine. The, yeah, term, the number's great. Yeah, the number is great. So the, the Except for the term. The term is the, the issue. The term is bad. And and the optics. The optics are the issue. Mm-hmm. But I thought the team did a good job of, of, I mean, almost laughing at Montreal's offer. Yeah, I mean. And, and, and doing that publicly, letting everyone know that if you thought you were going to push us around mm-hmm. or that we were a bunch of dopes, you know, I, I don't know. Like, if I'm Montreal... I want to make an offer sheet, put together an offer sheet. That's hard for the Hurricanes to match. <laughs> right. That was so easy. Why didn't they go up one level? You didn't have to go to 10-5. Yeah, just you could bump have gone it up to a ten notch. three, uh, which would be overpaid for Aho. Sure. I would point out, but you could have gone to you know a higher number than eight four five. The point and made it harder of an offer sheet is to put someone to a yeah. decision for all of their chips. Yeah. This is just like calling. Yeah, was, yeah, they didn't even. It was raise. like a position raise. It was nothing. Yeah, it was like here's they, here's where they checked the blind. Here's where I think the Hurricanes screwed up. They never. First of all, what was the public sentiment about the response? See the checks mixer, they're they're I addictive. One piece. That's what you're saying. <laughs> but here's where um, I think they screwed up. And the the public sentiment was, well, Aho uh, Aho's camp was never gonna. They didn't want eight years. They only wanted five years. My opinion of this, and I think I, I would be I would be willing to wager everything on me being right here, is that the Hurricanes' offer was an obvious lowball, meant to because I was told that Aho was either going to play on the offer the Hurricanes put out there which initially was seven and a quarter a year for eight years, or he's going to play on the one-year qualifying offer. Now, if you're the agent and the player, you know seven and a quarter a year is below your value. So why would you ever accept that for eight years and have your alternative told to you by the team being one year at a million dollars? Like, come on. So why would I even counter with a legitimate counteroffer? It put the player and the agent in a position where... They had no recourse other than, you know what, if you're going to be ridiculous, I'm going to be equally ridiculous. All right, what you call recourse, I call leverage. And that's the way the CBA is written. One do of the... you use the CBA for Ajo or do you use the CBA for other players? Well, you ha- if you don't use it for Ajo, 
you end up with players like Jeff Skinner, whose sal- whose salaries get completely out of control before they have arb rights. You've got to, you, the CBA only works for the teams if they use the leverage that they have. And these, believe me, these other teams with, Mar- uh, you know, Rantanen and Point and all these guys, I I would guess their tactics are generally similar, right? Because this is one of the very few points in a player's career where you can dictate to them. The only escape hatch for the player, the only recourse for the player, is to get an offer sheet, which historically hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. And here, because of this unique combination of circumstances, where I think the owner's reputation collides with an agent and a friendly GM, um, you did get an offer sheet. You know, if, if, if Ajo had an agent who didn't represent half the Canadians roster. <laughs> and Braden Point, by the way. There might not be a, a resolution to this now. Sure. Now. Would that be bad for the Hurricanes? Like, if you and I spent half of this conversation talking about what do they have to do to re-sign Sebastian Ajo? You know, I think there's some negatives there. The his- Historically speaking, when training camp rolls around, or even when you get to December 15th, as was the case last year with, with Nylander, the player wants to play. Mm-hmm. So the, te- that, the team has that, too. So I, I really I don't, I don't have a problem, necessarily, with, with the way this played out. Uh, I, I think... If the teams don't use their leverage, and and I I wrote this on the Skinner deal, it goes away. You know that the the you create these comparables that teams can use in negotiations and arbitration, and then the the you know you lose control over your roster. The CBA is written in a way, and I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm just saying this is the way it's the way it's written that you need to structure your roster with really good young players mm-hmm. on their first and second deals yep. to make up for all the money the guys are going to make on their later deals. In a hard cap system, players are always going to be stealing from each other. But that's the way you have to structure your roster to be competitive. Or the way, I shouldn't say that. That's the way competitive teams have structured their rosters. So you don't end up in a Detroit situation where you have all kinds of big money old players who can't play anymore and then young guys who aren't any good. So I don't have a problem with the Ajo situation and the way it played out. I think that's a that was a natural, organic consequence mm-hmm. of the way that the league's labor agreement is written. I think the outcome for both player and team was fine. The outcome for the player, I think, is great. Because Sebastian, at age 26, will hit free agency again. Yeah. And, and, and he's going to make—I mean, if he continues any sort of normal progression— He's going to be worth a lot more than eight point four five a million, whatever I just said. Eight point four five million, you know, five years from now. Sure, and but he so, might not. I mean, I I think the eight point four five is a baseline. I don't think he's going to get worse. He's too smart a player. I think he'll get. I I personally think he'll get better. Remember, he did not score a goal in the last fourteen games. He had just six assists, I believe, or seven assists in the last fourteen games. Still had eighty three points. And he was clearly injured in the collision with Nino Niederreiter. Right at some point, I don't know how long that lingered, but he was clearly a different player. He stopped taking faceoffs. They had Brock McGinn taking faceoffs the last three weeks of the season uh, in place of Aho. So there was something wrong, lower body and upper body, that was preventing him from taking taking draws. Um, I think he's going to get better. Um, I, I oh, I think he's going to get better. My point is, there's no guarantees. Oh, of course not. Yeah, and not. and and there are young players who plateau. Mm-hmm. And if he plateaus at this level, 
then he might have cost himself some money with the shorter deal. I think that's unlikely. Right. But you just never know with this stuff. And there's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a brutal game. It's, there are injuries and things like that. You never know. But I Brendan Moore once, I asked him this when I first started covering the team and I leaned on Rod a lot when he was an assistant. I'm like, all right, talk to me about certain players. And I asked him, fired questions off. What do you think about this guy, this guy, this guy? And I asked him about Elias Lindholm. So this is three years ago now. So this is going into his second to last year with the Hurricanes. And I said, what do you think about him? He goes, Here, my thoughts on Elias is that as smart as he is, he's never going to get worse than what he was then, which was a decent player. Now he clearly has gotten better and playing with Johnny Gaudreau and Monahan. It helps. That's a, that, that has a lot to do with it. And you saw his production when he wasn't playing with those guys yeah. as much, kind of waned. But, I mean, he's a good player. Yeah. And so I look at Ajo in a similar way, as smart a player as he is and the way he likes to compete. I mean, to me, he's not going to get worse. Is he worth 8.45? Is that his market? Or is that above 8.45? Is his market above that or below that? What do you think? Right now yeah. or long term? R- right now, based on what players who are similar to Yeah, him. I mean, I I, th- I think 8 is kind of the number. I thought 7 and a quarter was a hair low. I, th- I think 8 for me is the number when I look across the board. And and injuries— $2 million a year less than Jack Eichel? Injuries Eichel may be is, overpaid. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the problem when you start getting into stuff like that is there's guys who have terrible contracts, like Eichel. Right. Um, I, I, as injured, even as injured as he was or wasn't in the playoffs, there were some aspects of his game other than the faceoffs in the playoffs that concerned me. Mm-hmm. And so I need those questions answered before I would go higher with that number. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying I walked away from the season – with questions I didn't have before about Sebastian Ajo. I have some answers that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And I, and look, I, we're, we're, we're talking about shades of gray here. I mean, right. obvi- obviously, the, yeah. we're talking about a terrific young player. He's one of the, already one of the, the best, better players in the league, has a chance to be one of the best players in the league. But my point is, when, you, when you're going through all this stuff, you can't just assume that Sebastian Ajo is going to be a 110-point player. He may be. And he may be a player who's a great postseason player. But he isn't right now. So... You can't expect things to change. You can hope they change. You can plan as if they are. Uh, but I think when you look at him, you have to say, and, and you, you would never say that this is a finished product. Mm-mm. But there is some work to do. There's a joke there. Finished product. Finished product. There was a D there. <laughs> there was a D. Uh, how did they handle Don Waddell? <laughs> uh, see, the Don thing, I think they. I, I think this is an example of, you know, if you, if you want to find – find an area where where to criticize Dundon directly. Right. Th- this is one because you got to have a GM under contract. Right. And whether you believe in contracts or not, just get the deal done. Right. What are you like and it was I don't, you know, it maybe it was a question of him not wanting to pay Don to bo- do both jobs and obviously Don there was some bluff calling going on here and I think they have a good relationship, but you know, Don was a player, Don was a GM, Don's a negotiator. You know, he's going to do what's right for Don. And I just think that's something, such an unnecessary and unneeded distraction over the course of the summer. Just get it done. Do a one-year deal if you have to. Right. Um, you know, now, like, the conspiracy theories, I think, are terrific. That Dundon wanted Don out because he makes too much money or, or, or because he got too much credit. Or Waddell wanted out because he's tired of working right. for Dundon, but he didn't want to walk away and... 
you know, in the end, I think they both knew Dundon needs someone like Don. He needs someone who can be here and be the president and deal with all the sponsors and all the Mm -hmm. day-to-day BS that pops up about tickets and marketing and the building and all that crap. And he needs a GM who can make phone calls for him, call other GMs, which, hey. That's what I said. Rick Dudley or Paul Kropelka could do that. They have people in their office who can call GMs. That, to me, is the least important part of that. Don's got 40 years of relationships in the NFL. I'm not not downplaying that part of it. My point is. That's what it was about. You could slot some other people in. But they need him. They need that guy. Right. You don't want to start over in year two and a half with a new president and a new GM. You've got a good team. You know, ensure yourself some continuity and deal with it. You know, the idea that you have a sitting GM interviewing with another NHL team is just, you know, (laughs) it was was, the optics of trouble. I think that's where Dundon's business world perspective hurt him because he looked at Don Mm -hmm. as, you know, his second vice president for forestry management. Right. And if you... If you you know if you can get a better job somewhere, go ahead. Make more money, go ahead. Um, it'll look good for me if my second vice president of forestry management ends up being executive mm-hmm. vice president of the competitor, and I'll promote the third forestry vice president. You know, like from a business world perspective, why would you ever resign, Don? You got another offer? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a replaceable part. In, in reality, in pro sports, and I think Dundon's right that most GMs and coaches and scouts are are generally interchangeable. But I think in this particular situation, especially on the business side of the franchise, just get the guy signed up, lock him in, overpay if you have to. Don does okay for himself. It's fine. Um, but don't put yourself in a position where you're giving people more ammunition to mock your franchise and the way you run it. I think some of the criticism is fair. I think some of it is unfair, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. I think in the case of Don Waddell, that was basically just throwing red meat to a crowd that was dying for something like that. Hockey, to me... And I don't know that it's the same in other sports. I mean, I obviously have we're we're closer to this particular sport because we. I mean, I you know we cover it. Um, we don't have an NFL team here. We don't have an NBA team or a baseball team. Um, but hockey, man, they what the, what the Panthers? We don't. No, we're not close <laughs> to the Panthers. Uh, but the the NHL, man, it's a close knit community. And there are people like when Tom says, and he said it to you, I'm sure he said it to you. He said it to me. Look, there are 30. It's not going to be hard to find a general manager. Well, I remember a search a year ago in which they failed to find a general manager and only convinced Waddell to take it when they got the second pick in the draft. I'm like, well, you're going to take Svechnikov now. Like, okay, fine. I'll be the GM. So they had trouble finding a GM. Now, maybe it was good that they didn't get Paul Fenton last year because that was a disaster in Minnesota. Um, but if you are, if it, if you admit, and around the league they know, that you you don't value the position of GM very well, it ain't that easy to find a good general manager. There's a phrase in life where you get what you pay for. And if they were not willing to pay money for quality, and I'm not saying that Dundon isn't, I just think he doesn't value that job as much, it becomes more difficult to f- to fill those slots when you get around the league. And, I mean, I think the value of Waddell and his reputation in the industry, whether or not he was a great GM in Atlanta, doesn't even matter to me. Situations are all different. He might be a perfect GM, 
for this team. I think Jim Rutherford's one of the greatest general managers of all time. But at the end here— He was the wrong GM for it, this team. It, it wasn't going to work. Yep. Um, and I think they're kind of experiencing that in Pittsburgh a little bit. But, I mean, Jim deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I was so excited when he got in. Um, I just think that Tom's business experience and the sports business experience have a learning curve that he has not yet married. I the I use the analogy, you ever see somebody go into a traffic circle for the first time and like what what do I do? Do I go? Do I not go? I think Tom doesn't really understand that yet. And he may say I'm crazy for saying that, but I think it's to me it's obvious over the last, you know, 2 years. Yeah, I think there's a collision there. I like on some of this stuff about like the going rate for a general manager is $500,000. That's ridiculous. Okay, that so that, you know, I don't value that position that much. Like he's right. Like the diff, the marginal difference between a general manager and an assistant general manager in the NHL, like there's a big pool of guys who can do that job. Like I don't think he's necessarily wrong about that. And I think we're going to find out in the long term about a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. whether he's right or wrong. You know, the you know, the door is open for people in the hockey world to say this guy's too cheap to pay people. <laughs> Which okay, he's too cheap to pay them NHL rates cuz he doesn't think it's worth it. We'll find out whether or not he's right about that. I think the point in, in your traffic circle analogy where he bumps up against a set of, a, a set of unfamiliar rules and traditions and, and a hierarchy mm-hmm. that he's unfamiliar with in a bad way is, yes, there may be a pool of 100 guys who could be an NHL GM. But if you piss off all 100 of them... <laughs> Right. Now you're down to guy 101, and maybe he's not a replaceable part. So you you kind of have to swim with the current a little bit. You can you can have a different approach, but you at least have to make a pretense of playing the game. I think he will learn over the course of time, for however long he owns the team, that right. <laughs> that there that he can do things the way he thinks they should be done, without necessarily pissing everybody off. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad thing to come in and piss everybody off. Like I think. When you take over somewhere as a broadcaster, as a team owner, as a corporate executive, as a manager, shaking things up can, you know, very often have some a lot of benefits. But there's also some benefits to understanding why things were the way they were. And I, I think I think over time he'll kind of come to an understanding that some of the way things are in the NHL makes sense. Now, I would be the first person to say so much of the way things are in the NHL makes no sense, which is why we always joke that it stands Uh for nothing happens logically. (laughs) The garage league is as Mario called it. But, you know, I I, so so I'm philosophically, I think Dundon coming in with an approach that everyone in the NHL is an idiot is has some validity to it. I think practically it's such a small world. It's such a closed system. You do have to play by their rules a little bit to get along. No, oh, yeah, I don't think so, there's any question about so. that. I'm I, like, I, he's a smart guy, and he'll, I mean, he'll learn. He'll learn that guys talk, and I, I think he's going to have a little bit of trouble making trades with a lot of owners who don't necessarily like him. I think that's going to that that ultimately is going. He's going to figure that out. So he's going to have to, I mean, because I right now around the league, he's not a popular guy. No, I, I think teams 
will always do what's best for their teams. You know, if anything, did you like the Marlowe trade? I don't mind it. I wouldn't have done it, but I understand the logic behind it. And, and so I, I get it. You know, if, if you really believe in the numbers that a first round draft pick is worth X and we're yeah. paying Y for it and X is greater than Y, then it does make sense. I don't know. I, I wouldn't have bailed the Leafs out because to me that's, that's a team. That's what I. That's a team you're gonna. But that's so maybe that's, that's a maybe you bring that up because that's a good example of the difference between the business approach and the hockey approach. Is yes, you are buying an undervalued asset, and if it was a collection of junk mortgages, then that's one thing because you buying that collection of junk right. mortgages doesn't put your competitor in the black, which is essentially what the Marlowe trade did. So, Although you know. they haven't done anything with it because they haven't signed uh, Mitch Marner just yet. Let's talk about the roster uh, before we uh, before we wrap it up. Luke Tacock from the News and Observer. Because um, you, you, we, we alluded to it earlier, uh, they're set up to not necessarily need Justin Williams this year. Down the middle, they're better. I mean, you go back to last year, the fact that they were able to stay afloat with almost no experienced centers, especially when they missed The period Jordan when Stahl. Stahl was out, they were doing it with games. mirrors. Yeah, just absolutely. And that was some of the best hockey they played all year, right. ironically. Aho, Walmark, Martinook having to play center, Greg McKegg. But uh, now, we're going to miss Gregory. Uh, absolutely. Go go, go Rangers. Um, but down the middle now, year two of Aho at center, Eric Howla, he can play. He's a, he's a center. He's a player. Right? Uh, and he does appear to be healthy. He was coming back. If the right, he was going to play in the playoffs right. if they hadn't gotten to the shaft. <laughs> just, I mean, you could not allow four power play goals, but I get it. Um, Jordan Stahl could ultimately see his role reduced, and which that, I think would be great. I think that would be great for him. Yeah, just let him, let him relax. He's he's such a war horse. He gets so beat up. Um, he takes on so much responsibility. Letting him dial it back just a hair, mm-hmm. I think, would really benefit it. I think it would benefit his offensive game a little bit. I don't. I don't see Rod Brindamore <laughs> letting up. He no. loves Jordan. He Stahl treats so Jordan much. the way he wanted to be treated. Mm-hmm. Just throw me back out there. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think that there's a there's a kinship there that probably they could add, you know, two two more centers and and Jordan Stahl's role is not going <laughs> to change a lot. But yes, I I think Hall's addition just as another natural center just yeah. helps every everything drop into place. And we can't have too many left-handed centers, right? <laughs> All four of them. All four of the centers uh are left shots. Um Svechnikov going to stay on the left side, you think? If if Williams doesn't come back, could you make the argument that they should get Andre back on the right side where he wants to be. Yes, it's where he played all in his developmental yes. side. If if they do that, it opens up. Uh, well, it it, it gives them uh, another avenue to bring Saku Menelainen in because he's a left shot. I mean, they're all left shots. The only they the only uh, Natchez will be a right shot. Is I think Dzingel's a left shot too, isn't he? Is an off wing left shot. I I think. I'm gonna Google that because I don't. There you go. I think they're all left shot. I mean, they don't have anybody who's a right shot. On this, uh, they 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 need guys who can. Uh, They're all on defense, Adam. <laughs> that's right. Well, maybe they can put Chase Prisky uh, as a right wing because he's so good offensively. Um, but it, would you would you advocate moving Svechnikov back over to the right side where he started last season, and then Rod realized yeah. that defensively he needed him on the left side because it made it easier. 
I, I think so, and the reason why is, and I think you saw this in the playoffs a couple of times, he's got that Eric Cole power rush on the left side, uh, the right side, excuse yeah. me, and I think that gets him engaged and it gets the rest of his game going, and I don't see him do that on the left as much. I think he's got that on the right side. He just has that ability to beat the D and cut in, and it really does remind me of, of sort of Eric yeah. Cole in 2006 or 2005 um, be, before the injury. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you can stack sort of guys on the right side. I think maybe, you know, and, and, you know, the other thing is, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did some of this. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved some guys around and used Taravane in that center a little bit too. I think they want to see him there and get a sense of that. Just not lining up that way, but okay. late in games or, or a change of pace. Um, get him and Ajo back together a little bit if they're split up. But yeah, I, I think I, I've every pencil, every lineup I pencil in, I start with Svechnikov on the right, and then he ends up on the left by the <laughs> end of it. But I, I, th- I think, I think you want him there. I think that's going to be his long-term position. Right. And I think the the sooner you give that kid every on ramp to his destiny, the better off everyone's going to be. But it is tough to balance the numbers if he's on the right. Makes it, it it seems like to me every time I go through this lineup, I end up with him on the left. Well, I mean, it to me it's easier if there's no Williams. If uh, if yes. there's if there's Williams, then if Svechnikov's on the right, then Natchez is on the fourth line, and I don't see that as a tenable situation uh, because you'd have Svechnikov, Teravainen, and Williams as your top three uh, guys on the right side, and Williams isn't going to play a fourth line role. So he's not just not suited for that, regardless of whether or not you want his minutes around 12 a game as opposed to 15 or 16. Um, so, yeah, if there's no Williams, I think it's an easy move to move Svechnikov back and you deal with the, the defensive liabilities, although he became a much better defensive player. Yeah, I think that's going to be fine because he because he is smart. He does understand the mm-hmm. game. I think, he, I mean, yeah, he was overwhelmed. He was an 18-year-old. Yeah. You know, like like he's so good, you, you forget how few players can make that adjustment and and look at how much trouble Natchez had with a huge head start right um and and you know how poorly that went so I don't I don't think there's a long-term issue there you know one of the advantages of adding Halla and getting a little stronger down the middle is you can carry a little bit more on the right side uh or on the wings in general defensively because you are stronger down the Mm -hmm. middle and so you know not that they'll play together necessarily but you, when you're stronger down the middle, you can have more holes on the wings defensively and be okay. Right. I think the defense, I think those guys will continue to improve as well. And that does give you a little more of a, uh, you know, safety net for, mm-hmm. for some of those guys up up front. And, and you know, like you're going to have to carry Zingle a little bit defensively and obviously Svechnikov. And, and that's fine. You, mm-hmm. you know, if you build your team that way, then you let those guys do what they do well. And I think for Svechnikov to do what he does well, he needs to be on the right. And maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. I just I have these visions of of those those bull rushes, and they're all yeah. they're all on the right. They're on the right side. And I think that's what you want him doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, I I said all year that a fight, a Svechnikov fight, was inevitable. I didn't think it would happen in the playoffs, <laughs> but he just he has an agitating way of playing that I love. And I think we'll serve him well. He'll defend himself when he has to. He'll get better at it. You can't get any worse at it. Uh, third pair defenseman. Assuming that they don't make a move yeah. with Justin Falk, and I don't think they will, at least not now. I can see something like that 
popping up depending on where they are in the standings when you get to the trade deadline. Uh, but right now, their top four is set. Uh, but a third pair is definitely an issue, and they Chase Prisky is going to have a chance. He has a chance. To make the team, although I don't know what they're going to do. He is a right shot. Yeah, no, I That's feel, where all the right shots are. I feel that's right. Yeah, they, they need one of those guys to play forward. I, I feel like Prisky is going to end up being like a 30-40 to 40 game guy. You know, maybe maybe start in Charlotte and come up. Um, I mean, people forget that Pesci and Slavin both. I mean, you wouldn't forget, but people forget right. that Pesci and Slavin both came up mid year and and stepped into the lineup and never left. Uh, Slavin might have gone back down, but no, they didn't. They both okay. came up. Couldn't remember Pesci first, then Slavin. Yeah. So you know, that's that's not an abnormal progression. You know, I want to see this Forslund kid. Um, yeah. John John Forslund, the defenseman. <laughs> Uh, I want to see him. I just don't. I just if I saw him in Chicago, he didn't make an impression. Right. And then you know, it's a we all know this to make or break year for Hayden Flurry, who's probably been on on the verge of packing his bags a couple times uh-huh. because he's a marketable asset. Nothing against the kid. And you know, you teams teams want a guy who's a top ten pick. But you know, I mean, you're a top ten draft pick in the NHL. You're at this point in your career. Either you're going to be a top four defenseman or you're not. And he's not going to get that opportunity this year, but he has to show he's the best option they have on the third pair. And, you know, however long Van Riemsdyk is out, there's openings there for people. And it will be really interesting, I think, to watch Flurry, to watch Forsling. You know, people rave about Prisky. I don't don't think he's... An offensive guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's scouts who like Fox better. There are scouts who like Prisky better. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so the, there's 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 some some uh, debate there, but he'll get a chance, and I'll, you know he may win the Andrew Hutchinson preseason North Trophy. Uh, uh, if he, like if, Daniel if, Jones if with the a, Giants. Yes, yeah, Daniel Jones preseason MVP. <laughs> uh, so you know that'll be interesting to see, but I do think what they have there, especially when when Van Riemsdyk comes back, is options. Oh yeah, and that's never bad. Like. If you look at what their issues were against the Bruins, one of them was they ran out of defensemen. And they're playing guys who just, quite frankly, weren't up to that level of competition at that point in the postseason. Um, You know, you can hide a guy maybe in the first round against the Caps when they're kind of half asleep at times. But not against— They had to hide Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, great point. After the the hit, yeah, or the non-hit, as the case may be. Absolutely. So you can can do that. You can't do that against the Bruins in the conference finals. And having some options there, I, I think, will really help them. You know, third-pairing defensemen are a dime a dozen to a certain extent. Right. But you still have to have them, and they were out of them last year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I think and, – and the fact that Ben Riemsdyk is going to miss some time, those guys are all going to get an audition. And we'll see what happens. Um, but but I, th- I think Prisky ends up, even if he's not a full-time NHLer by the end of the season, I would, I would expect to see him rotate in the lineup enough – that we get a sense of kind of is what is this kid by by January or February. All right, let's uh, let's close on this. Luke Decock of the News and Observer, and I thank you so much for coming in. We went honestly, we've gone twice as long as I wanted to. Um, Carolina better today, and take into consideration that a lot of teams in the East, New Jersey, Philly, Rangers to an extent, Buffalo maybe to an extent, Florida, all got better. Carolina better in a better position now than they were a year ago? Two different questions, better and better position. I think the lineup is – the roster is better. There's no question about that. 
Um, especially if you consider a year ago the backup goalie was Scott Darling. Right. So no, he was a starter. Yeah, well, <laughs> to some people. He would have started opening night if he didn't get hurt at Candy at Carnival. I'm convinced of it. Maybe. But I think we know how it would have ended. Yeah, uh, we it exactly how it ended. Yeah, so they're stronger at center. Svechnikov will be better. You know, I think, as we talked about, Zingle's a nice addition. Uh, I think they've probably gotten stronger on the third pairing. I think you maybe can make that argument a little bit. Um, I think they will miss Calvin DeHaan. Mm-hmm. Uh, deeper, maybe, not stronger on the third pairing. Uh, and, and you know, goaltending to me is still a big question. I think Morazic's playoff performance does raise some questions. He's He's been erratic over the course of his career, so mm-hmm. you just don't know what you're going to get. You know, James Reimer overpaid, but yeah. you know what you're going to get with him. I think you could argue that they'll be better in goal as a whole I think, this year than last year. I think there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a chance. I also think there's a chance they could be worse. There's just not a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. Not Confidence makes it sound like you don't have confidence in the guys. There's not a lot of confidence in terms of what level they'll play at. It's like goaltending outside of about 10 teams in the NHL. Yeah. The no, I, like everybody else. Not, not unusual. Right. Uh, but so I, I do think they're – that their roster as it sits right now, even without Williams, is better than it was a year ago. It's a tough division. Other teams have gotten better. Um, you know, some of the some of the teams in their division are just really good. Yeah. It's just there's right. there's no way around it. Uh and the you know, the devil's getting Subban for mm-hmm. nothing. Like, that's ridiculous. So, yeah, I, I don't know that they're in a better position. I will say this, which I would not have said a year ago, regardless of the state of the roster. I think they have as good a chance to make the playoffs as they've had in years. Mm-hmm. But that's not a guarantee. And that was kind of what I was saying at the end of last season when everyone's like, we're going to be so good I next know. year. We're All with these young players, we're going to be so good next year. Like, I, like you, yeah, yeah. The Hurricanes might be really good next year, but they also caught lightning in a bottle. They played really well from January on. They played really well in the playoffs. There's no guarantee they pick up where they left off, and we've seen that so many times with this franchise. I think it's a different mentality. I don't think this this team is different than some of those teams in the past, but I think you have to be careful making assumptions about about them starting the way they finished. Now, I will say, I have the utmost confidence in Rod Brindamore to get the most out of this Mm -hmm. team. I just don't know that anyone can say that the most is necessarily enough. It may be. It may be a 98-point team. It may be a 100-point team. It may be an 88-point team because it wouldn't take much going wrong Mm -mm. uh, for for that to happen. So I just, you know, I I think, I hope people savored that playoff experience. I mean, it's weird covering this team. You you end up covering a lot of these deep playoff (laughs) runs just once a decade. And... It's just there's no guarantee they're back there. There's right. no guarantee they're in the first round of the playoffs. Um, you want to savor that experience, that those moments of those games really mattering because they don't come along often for anybody. Um, you know, even even you know, juggernauts like the Bruins have had down years. So you just sure. you just have to be careful, um, and and you can't walk away from, you know, the Bruins series and say, well, you know, we'll just pick up where we left off. It's 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 more complicated than that. That said. It seems like a better team on paper. Right. Um, and then, you know, the rest of it is why they play the games. It would be a lot better if they can just bring number 14 back, but we'll uh, we'll close on that. Thanks, man. No, thank you for having me. Ping pong diplomacy. Enjoy. Thanks for the checks mix. And Enjoy your checks. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the, the Sour Patch Kids. And I, will the, not, uh, I will not 
I'm not yell gonna, at you if you take that out. I'm not going. Oh, I might take the glass, but I think I'll probably just dump the Chex Mix oh, and Sour Patch Kids on the counter here. But thank you for thank you for your your considerate uh, your considerate hosts host uh, duties, and uh, I'm sure there's a parting gift somewhere on the way out here. That's the parting gift. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsband.com, the WRAL Sportsband app, and you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast.